0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and Marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can catch me being spooky on Twitter and Instagram at Nico That's NicoAction, That's N I C O A C T I O N. And today we have four amazing titles and a little bit extra for you. We're gonna kick things off with X Force number twenty four before taking a look over into the pages of Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land number two. We're gonna move on over to double coverage of Darkhold, seeing both solo stories, Iron Man and Blade, in the same coverage, but. Before we can even get to that, I love the end of the year. I love this time, and kicking things off for that holiday season with Halloween is one of my favorite things, and comics has always had a special relationship with Halloween, and I wanted to highlight one of those special relationships in particular. There has been a long-running parade known as the Rutland Halloween Parade. It's held annually in Rutland, Vermont, and it is the most fascinating story. So there was a guy by the name of Tom Fagan and Tom Fagan was a writer and comic book enthusiast And in 1959, he decided he was going to hold a parade in his town, and it was going to be superhero-themed. And there's something so magical about the idea of this early representation of fandom. I mean, 1959 puts it before the Marvel boom. So this guy is out there pushing this amazing parade. And over the years, it didn't just become popular, it became amazing. By 1970, he had more than 5,000 spectators that's incredible people were dressing up as all sorts of characters and as a matter of fact tom did himself dress up as batman and when he would be later shown in art of the parade if it was marvel work he would often appear as nighthawk and i just think this guy deserves a million points for this because he would go on to inspire so many comic book creators to include this awesome event in their work The Rutland Parade would go on to appear in a number of comics between Marvel and DC, and actually a number of times, the creators at both houses worked together to try and have a story go from one book to the other in a sort of hand-holding way. And just to name some of the titles, The Avengers, Batman, Thor, Justice League of America, Amazing Adventures, Generation X, Animal Man, Defenders, and more. For a more complete list, check out the bonus segment at the end of this episode after the coverage of the main titles. I think there is something really magical about a man whose impact on how comics impacted him. It's just, there's something so powerful about it. And it's they're kind of the reason we make this show, the ability to interact with the medium we love so much. And while sadly, Fagin did pass away in 2008, having handed off running the parade a few years earlier... It's just so wonderful that a man who felt comics had given him so much was able to give so much back to comics. It's just a wonderful tale, and it's a way that Halloween and comics have always gone hand in hand. Now, of course, comics and horror have a year-round relationship with some of the world's most famous comic books being horror comics. The likes of Sandman comes to mind. With Sandman's upcoming major event returning to our world in the form of a TV series following its very successful audiobook and countless returns to Sandman in comic form. It would definitely be a great time to check out our paneling interview with Alyssa Quitney from a few months back. Alyssa had been an editor on multiple Sandman projects and worked directly with Neil, as well as Mike Carey, who would go on to write the 76 issues of Lucifer. And it's a really awesome time to celebrate women in comics and Also, the magic that is sort of horror, spooky, scary comics. And now on to the books themselves. Kicking things off is X-Force number 24. X-Force has been a title that, in many ways, took a long time to reach its true narrative, and I feel like that's something that Percy is becoming really known for in the X-Office. A narrative that builds layer after layer, providing sort of almost like a bloody flavor profile (laughs) for his frightening vision for the x-men and wolverines future we hope you guys enjoy this next segment just as much as we enjoyed making it hey and don't forget if you guys like what you hear you'll probably like what you see so don't forget to check us out over on twitter and youtube over at x's for podcast
1: and welcome back to X's for Podcasts. I'm one of your co-hosts, Arturo, and today we are going to be covering X Force Twenty Four. Uh, I'm joined by my friends, starting with the one and only Raven.
2: Hello, I'm Raven, aka Dame Red Bento. You can find me over on uh, Twitter and TikTok a lot right now, so that should be interesting. Come over on and find me uh, today. We also have with us Steve.
3: Hello, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A.
4: I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me on Twitter at Asleep at the Wheel, W E I L and at AsleepwithTwheel.com. At and for the next twelve months as the Progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can find me across social media at wheel the number four US Senate and at
1: joshwheel.org. And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toy on Twitter and Instagram. So force twenty-four, written by Benjamin Percy with beautiful art by Martin Cocholo. Great colors by Guru FX and letters V C sees joe caramagna without that that name snuck up on me caramagna caramagna all right x-force the team is scattered a little bit we go on a little deep dive with beast and black tom <laughs> and see a whole other side of beast and some antics and stew the inside and... yes <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's a great joke
4: uh... Is this the first time another man has been inside of Hank McCoy? <laughs> definitely not.
1: I doubt it. Definitely not. Yes, And it is definitely not the first time Black Tom has been inside another man. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely.
3: Can, we, can we talk about Black Tom and his insistence on talking about
1: balls? <laughs> like, bollocks. No. That bollocks else... isn't just balls. It's like an expression. It's not bollocks. It's gonads and stinking no, dicks. Yeah.
4: I love could, Black uh, Tom in this issue so much i just we have not gotten good black tom in a minute no, in this I have, series. like black
1: tom and colossus we got a huge heaping tablespoon of rasputin family drama for better or worse and i've been starved like these are two of my favorite mm-hmm. characters on the whole team i am so sick to death of quentin choir like i have enjoyed the stories but come on these characters have been completely underserved and this was like a feast like it was like yay let's do something fun with these cool characters
4: black Tom was one of the original finds of this series, yeah. like when this series, one of the things that made it so surprising and fun and was like, wow, this is the Krakoan era was that we started having these previous villains integrated into society and being, you know, just that it was mutantdom yeah. and black Tom finding his place and having purpose in the community and not being villainous just because he had previously been, but actually being a contributing member. And he was so goddamn fun. Mm -hmm. And and like for the first five, six issues, it was a huge part of the appeal of this book and and the new world. It's been so long since we've had an issue that focused on these members and had this feel to it that, you know, yes, he has balanced and done a lot. But I'm not always sure in the I'm not always sure he's juggled them in the best balance or kind of proportions.
1: Yeah. I agree, and I think think a missed opportunity would be seeing some of these characters, maybe if they're not getting featured in X-Force, having them be more as backups in Wolverine would be a nice way of stitching it together because there's a lot of connective tissue between the two sometimes. sometimes, These books
4: read together a lot. Right, right.
1: Wolverine
2: is the connective tissue. Tell me a freaking title he's not in. (laughs) Shout out
1: for the art. I mean, before I even read the issue, Colossus was all over my time timeline and god bless everyone for posting those pictures because i could look at them all day like he's just drawn so beautifully and like my whole thing with him is i've been hungry like i was like yes colossus is going to be on x-force way back in you know when x-force was announced and then he was sidelined and like we have gotten literal crumbs like we had to like colossus's hellfire gala look is what sustained me in my colossus hunger for the last like six months like There's just been no fucking Colossus and this story at least now we kind of see why or how he's being manipulated and he's been sidelined. Like there was a data page and I I didn't go back to like dig it up and find which issue but there was a data page and it it was like describing Colossus and it ended in Russian and I assumed that that was like oh okay sad boy Colossus is not just painting and farming he's also journaling but I guess that was this author mutant writing from a pocket.
3: The reason that I think this issue is so important and I should have been seated earlier, the reason this, this issue is like the most important issue of Colossus in X-Force is because it recontextualizes a very important event that has made me absolutely fucking hate Colossus in this era. I have had zero sympathy for this idiot the entire time as a former big Colossus fan, really terrible time to be a previous beast and Colossus fan,
1: but yeah.
3: Colossus allowed Domino to die, actually caused her death. He actually killed her regardless of whether that was the intent he did. And then when she came back, he failed to have her keep her memories it was the most horrific violation of a woman in the series so far. I think in a lot of ways it was terrible. It really frustrated me. It infuriated me. And then Domino basically shrugs it off in the next issue and it sucks the problem with this is that Colossus has just been living off on his own with Kayla this whole time, which I'll get to that. But like, the, the fact the fact is that Colossus was probably, and now we can assume that Colossus was not in control of his actions when what happened mm-hmm. with Domino happened because he had already been painting Mikhail Rasputin's face before then. right. We saw that in the previous issue. That was actually a nice little bit of foreshadowing that I now understand, but like I didn't have to hate Colossus as much. Like yeah. the part of the reason that this works, right is that Colossus is the kind of guy that I could believe would do this without being controlled. Mm-hmm. This doesn't
1: let Colossus off the hook. This kind of you know? reflects back to different things of Colossus's history. Like, Kayla herself reminds me of, like, Secret Wars or whatever, when they ended up on Battleworld, and, like, he ends up with... What was her name? Tadagy.
2: So, I think that's my biggest sticking point, though, with Colossus, is they rarely develop him past the sad himbo-slash-kitty era-slash- where he showed a lot of inappropriate love towards his own sister, which really squeaked me out for a long time. They don't seem to ever like develop him past that, and I'm I am begging at this point to get something more than sad Russian himbo colossus because I loved him so much growing up. But I'm just like. Yeah dude come
3: on that stuff has happened to him repeatedly but like is this the
2: worst yeah.
1: I wouldn't hold my breath like yeah. this is a lane that that colossus occupies and like seeing that he was going to be featured in this issue i was at once thrilled and excited and absolutely terrified cuz i was like oh, some shit's going to happen
4: as we have developed more terms for the broad spectrum of sexuality, right? Like we have so many more terms than we did when Colossus was first starting to be depicted. Um would any of you read in or categorize Colossus as gray sexual?
3: Well, when you say gray sexual, you mean like somebody who is somewhat within the bounds of asexuality.
4: Yes, as someone who is closer to who wants the romantic relationships without necessarily sexual relationships as much. Like he seems, he seems closer to a like a romantic, somewhat asexual. I think that's that's actually a valid
3: read on Colossus. It absolutely is, even though there's hints constantly of him railing Kayla because, like. This issue is like, right. you're gonna bone down. I know. Right?
1: Colossus and Kitty bang so hard that she phased through the bed, so... <laughs> I've always seen him as sexual, but I see what you're saying. That's true. I And as far as this being, like, creepy, eh, I just think it's very simple, right? And I, I don't fault him for it. Like, there is just, you know, white picket fence dog they there's simple and then there's that,
2: you know... separating yourself and the partner you're with from everybody else right yeah. no and, and I mean, i've not, and I've never been a fan of
1: this at all like i've the whole time i've been like why why wouldn't he be with iliana why wouldn't he be involved why would he be in the freaking savage land farming so i've had a lot mm-hmm. of like what the fuck and nobody else is touching colossus like it felt like mm-hmm. ben percy called colossus colossus is on this team and then kind of forgot about Colossus. Well, I guess he didn't forget now, about right. him. He's been now, my
4: bigger read on it has always been that this mysterious Kayla was manipulating him. Um, I, right. I I maybe I was half right? I,
1: I haven't no. like Kayla from the beginning. No, no, not fine. that she I'm is,
4: sorry. but that he's being manipulated. Like... Kayla is mysterious, and he's being manipulated. He's just not being manipulated by her.
3: Yeah, Kayla is absolutely the victim here. I can we talk absolutely.
4: About how, can we
3: talk about how both Ben Percy and the Chronicler and Mikhail fridge Kayla in this? Like, can we talk oh, about you. how Ben
4: Percy fucking points out that she's a, her own character who deserves her agency, and then fridges that. her the next
3: fucking page? I mean, I do think he's making a point about fridging, and he's putting it into Mikhail.
1: Which I really, yeah, I appreciate that. He's, he's, is, it's abs. this is the metal part of it. It's like he's doing the trope, but he's calling it out. Like it's... But he's still doing the trope. But he's, but doing, he's, still, he's still doing he's the, still the trope. He's still
2: doing the trope in the worst way possible. Not only does she get fridged, she gets fridged and then they just roll her into a ditch kind of thing. Like, what the shit? I think At it's best. really
3: interesting too that there's this strange, there's a strange, like, I want to call this an outdated plot, but I don't live in Russia. Uh, But this Mm -hmm. feels like such a Soviet war trope, is that, like, the Chronicler feels like kind of like a Shostakovich character where like mm. he's an artist and he wants to do his art and the government of Russia, in this case, the government of Russian mutants, is saying, you will write what I tell you to write. You will make what I tell you to make. And he, within that bounds, is rebelling through his art in the way that yes. like, I think Shostakovich Yes, yes. And does. he's like, well, what is this? Yeah. What is
1: this? When, when Kayla starts... Looking at Colossus's art and and uh, and then we cut to Mikhail and he's like, "What the fuck is this? What are you doing? I have no interest for your artistry. See,
3: this is not a realistic depiction of Russia today. and I think it's interesting because Mikhail is a Soviet character
4: but it's not Russia today they're in like Mikhail's just happens to be Russian and is running his own you know he's bringing his old school Russian ideals into his little yeah, pocket dimension and Soviet running his shit cosmonaut. so he
3: of course yeah. still has these party ideals do we think this is actually in line for Mikhail's character I don't think so the Mikhail I remember is somebody who is damaged you. by trauma to the point mm-hmm. where he was often out of control of his powers or didn't understand the empathetic use of them the whole thing with the Morlocks seemed like a man desperately in pain clawing at rationality
2: this reminded me me of Mister Sinister, like the old Mister Sinister, not mm-hmm. the campy kind of fun, sort of queer, but sort of shifty Mister Sinister. It just reminds me of the old school Mister Sinister, like
4: before Gillen. Like, yeah, like,
2: Yeah, I'm like this is this is like a very sinister. different feel. Yeah, 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 I'm like this is a very different feel than than what I
1: remember uh, Mikhail being. So I'm just like talking about Black Tom and like villains being reintegrated, and and there was this time in the beginning of the Krakoa. An era that anytime i saw a villain it was like i was waiting for them to turn heel and like betray you know what i mean like i was or like what's their scheme going to be so i was very wary of of black tom and and other characters but then just really fell for them as being part of this you know part of the team part of the greater good there was a part of me that when mikhail came into the into the picture i was like well why wouldn't he be there why don't we have a rasputin house on krakoa why like they would be so happy to be reunited and that's too neat too clean like i i I kind of respect that this is that 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 percy just said mikhail's going to be a villain and he's sticking with it
4: yeah and but we've gotten it so, and this goes back to what I said about the balance, is that he's been telling a lot of different stories and a lot of threads and weaving them together over the course of 24 issues. And we did go way back, I don't remember if it was on our coverage of 22 or 23, but we went way back and we did all the high points of the Mikhail story arc. And they do go back super early. It is in the first couple issues that we do get the original introduction of Mikhail in this series. And like this is from the start he's had this. But... He took it off the board for so long. Yeah, I have to agree with that. That's mm-hmm. that is the case. Although the Chronicler was clearly the
3: plan all along. Like I, I get that now. It is a nice reveal. It recontexts. I just reread all of X Force, and so it's very fresh in my mind. All of the appearances. It's very interesting how he's been kind of subverting the process the entire time. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's so much going on there. How aware do you think all of you, Colossus, is of what's happening to him? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> he's clearly. <laughs> yeah.
4: he's clearly I'm, not, really- I'm sorry. That's bad yeah. for podcast i'm he's, just shaking my uh, head and making a face right now like uh, no he's clearly oh, not aware, aware laugh. <laughs> that
3: he's being controlled but yet he is doing these things that i think colossus would not do and would know like that he dropping bodies kill. yeah he wouldn't kill kayla now, no he, he does, does kill he let's all him. remember too yeah. x-men kill but colossus doesn't kill kayla you need to no. understand there's not colossus Colossus doesn't care often about the agency of the women that he dates, but mm-hmm. he does care about their lives. And like, although Domino will be brought back in and Domino is a member of Black Ops Force, Kayla is just like this cottagecore farm girl that he lives with in this like beautiful paradise for himself. He thinks it's his own choice. Obviously, it isn't. And he thinks it's his own choice to kill Kayla for finding out that he's been spying for Russia. How can he possibly, like what I'm saying is not that this is out of character or that Percy is bad at writing this. What Colossus must be thinking and feeling now, because this is like, this is beyond,
1: can he still be controlled at this point after this happens? This is such an interesting mutant power to explore because the chronicler seems either like, like he's a reality warper or his power working with Mikhail, because Mikhail Rasputin is a reality warper, right? Um, uh, Mikhail Rasputin can can reform reality.
2: You saw him bring in that the wine bottle, bottle right. from like 1951. Whereas chronicler, whereas chronicler actually has to uh, write things that could happen. Um, into what he's doing. So he's more of a reality warper or influencer, I should say. Because it's not like he can just go, oh, yeah, a bird flies out of nowhere, drops a diamond, da da da. He actually has to make it somewhat doable.
3: It has to be somewhat true for him to write it. At least that's what he says. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. that that's like, that's like his first introduction is like he wrote speeches, right? So he had to write things that were at least close to the truth and in order to influence the truth. That's really cool, Raven. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: I like to think of it that like he has to write it like sad Russian literature in the same way that like Captain Britain is only powered up like when he's on like British soil. That that like there's a, a, a Russian – there's a there's a Russian fuel to his – his power as well. That's just my head cannon. Yeah, uh, and I think you're actually vaguely right.
1: About that. Of, I think that's a touch
3: vodka. In. Speaking <laughs> of super Russian things and super other ethnicities, Black Tom is cartoonishly Irish in this. I, I just have to say, oh it. my
1: god, Black! Like you could tell, Percy's just having so much fun. This isn't
3: what I don't like in the way that I don't like when Jerry Duggan does this in Marauders. Mm. This is far more tasteful and funny because it's Black Tom yeah. and that's who it is. That being said, this is, like, cartoonish. This is maybe, this is like, alright, you're full of it. Like, we, we, we can tap that down just slightly and still have right. it here. <laughs> at this point, he's on purpose talking about gonads. Beast is such a piece of shit in this. Fuck you, Beast. You <laughs> <laughs>
4: forever idiot. Beast is... <laughs> God bless <laughs> Black and Tom's and like, friends, friends now, eh? And Guys. Beast is like, <laughs> Ben Percy has completely embraced the slow evolution of like 616 Beast into Age of Apocalypse Dark Beast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so here well. yeah. he and every step and,
1: of that character development. We were saying in the green room, Cocholo is a great substitute for Kasaris, Like, Kasaris is just on his, on another level, but it, as like a fill-in artist, this was just perfect. It was perfect for X-Force. It fit the vibe. It still felt like X-Force. It still felt like like specifically the Black Tom of it all because Kasaris reinvented kind of, how Black Tom presents, and with with all the like little creepy vines and and you know shrubbery and whatnot, and uh and I think th- yeah he did, he did a beautiful job on this. Love Black Tom, I Beast, love him so much. bro, poor Beast. So Beast at the end stabs his own eye out. Yeah, bud. Let's just talk about it. Oh Beast stabbed. Yeah, let's talk. Like and even before wow. that, just the Russian nesting doll, like the thought that this like little teeny tiny golem creature was what just like running around in Beast's intestines for the last couple of months. So what do you think was going on there? Because I was not
4: fully certain. So was there another one in his eye? Is Beast just going fucking crazy? Like, do you think there honestly was another one in his eye that he had to cut out? Yes, yes. Yeah, I do. Also, Beast is also going crazy. Uh, Okay, okay, so it was
3: both. I think it was how quick he... Stabbed his own eye out was just the length of desperation he has reached. He's at the end of his fucking rope. He is, mm-hmm. Because
4: he's he's done the, he did all of the the simulations and it don't work well. He's got data to prove that he's going to fuck this up.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's, that's bad. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Beast having a shadow room where he practices contingencies, that's bad for everybody because he's always oh, going to yeah, choose yeah. the worst option. He is an ultimate pragmatist and he will always choose the painful option for somebody else. He'll never, he will not look past that to a better solution like Captain America would, for example. Yeah, yeah
1: I mean the the one thing that's that was missing in this for me a little bit is Sage because X-Force is down bad right now, you guys. Like, everybody's kind of going through some shit, and there's no... It feels like it's being missed, you know? Like, this... The, everybody here is going through a lot and we've seen we've seen like in the data pages or whatever they've talked about how black tom seems a little bit off and a little bit i don't want to throw the word crazy around but just you know not not unstable no
4: and i mean some of that i think ties into the overall theme that we've been getting of characters who are resurrected and that kind of darkness in the lost space or the onslaught in them like you know we know that some of that is being seeded across all of the titles to tie in with what Cy Spurrier was doing there in Way of X and Onslaught Revelation. Um, But yeah, like I need a little more for Sage as well. Another character that was a highlight of this book early on has not been served well um, over the last year or so. And the last time we got any sort of focus on her, she was just kind of randomly starting to become a drunk. Um, And it was like, what the fuck,
2: why? A drunk who was sort of getting into a rando lesbian situation with emma frost and i'm like i am so confused as to where you're supposed to stand because it seems like you're you're easily swayed and and not super reliable as to where your moral standings
1: it. I just hope Endgame here is Sage ends up running this team. Like Beast is deemed woefully yes. unfit and taken we'll out of his position, that. like possibly thrown in the hole. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm on record. I am a fan of Dark Beast, not because I think he's doing great moral things, but because he's at least an interesting character. Now he's more interesting, I think than, than he's been in a while. And yes. uh, you know, Beast kind of playing fast and loose with morality and consequences. Is, is nothing new I mean like bringing the o- nothing f- new. bringing the 05 okay. back like threatening the entire like space time continuum just to like prove to Scott Summers that he's you know how far he's fallen like Beast is a dick Beast is which all goes
4: a back to Scott Summers pragmatic turn to leave Beast like when Beast got captured and Scott saved the team and left him like that's when Beast turned from being after the post schism Beast was originally on the Cyclops team then went back to the Jean Grey school when he got pissed at Scott, and it was that resentment that led him to be like, no, fuck Scott. Scott's wrong in the way he makes decisions. Like, so I'm I'm going to make these bad decisions.
3: Beast did that to Threnody. Beast was like, let's leave Sinister with Threnody. That'll be fine. That's the pragmatic decision. Mm -hmm. And that was a horrific It's fine as long as it's not him. Yeah, it's fine as long as it's not him. Uh, I like Beast this way a lot, but he needs some consequences. I would love to see him treated as a real villain. Like, treated the same way that Sinister is treated, the same way that Tarn is treated. Funny that you bring up
1: Sinister because I feel feel like no, I feel like beast and sinister would be like that. That would their work. best buddies They, now. they should. They worked together friends. on the dangerous. Like regions. you know, they they worked either together or like at at odds. But like I don't know, like frenemies. Like beast, I would love to see that. Like not full villain, but like have him kind of sliding over to that side of the of the council chamber.
3: I'm okay with full villain at this point. He, beast could be an anti villain if he wants. But right, right. Yeah, sorry, beast
2: really. honestly feels like if you were to take Tarn sinister and if they had a
3: kid oh god he's Sinistarn.
2: is that what you're he saying is, he, he is, is, sinister, sinister sinister. He is like especially in this iteration as he's becoming more and more dark beast he is very much becoming what sinister was trying to create he's becoming Sinistarn. he well, really he does is that god like we all
1: refer yeah. to dark beast from age of apocalypse but i think it's also mm-hmm. worth remembering uh the dark beast from morrison's run in that future timeline mm-hmm. although that was technically John sublime, sublime had taken, like the Sublime Bacteria had taken over Beast's body, but I think he agreed to it. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Wasn't Beast like also yeah. in the Bendis run when, yeah. um, for Battle of the Atom and the future X-Men came back yes. and then it turned out that they were actually villains but Beast was on that team? Yeah, <laughs> like, he's he's on that, the Actual Beast was on that team because you become a villain? Yeah.
3: He's on the Brotherhood. Yeah in the future he was on the future idea. Yeah. although how much he was being controlled by xavier is another question there because it's implied mm-hmm. that xavier was controlling all of them to some extent but like <laughs> that beast was on that team like he was probably one of the first people to sign up right like right after dazzler was killed i don't i don't want to get into it i don't that seriously <laughs> honestly i don't like battle of the
1: atom <laughs> yeah i know battle of the atom was a mess yeah like I, I bought it and it's i'm <laughs> ready i'm ready for things to come to a head with beast and then for him for him to just decide okay or for it to be out of his hands like this is too much for him take him out of here and let beast like go back into like tinkering with genetics maybe tampering with the dark arts like let beast you know kind of meddle away in his little in his little anti-sinister lab or whatever like no
2: don't let him meddle away that's that's how you get bad shit that's how
1: you get good stories i'm into it (laughs) that's how you get sinistans yeah we don't need that again what would you guys like to see come next? Like, what, what would you like to see x 4 season two look like? What are some changes? What are some things you'd like to see shuffled around? Go. I would like Beast to be nicer to Black Tom. He deserves <laughs> your respect, sir. Mm-hmm.
3: Don't be such a pissant. <laughs> that's what I want. That's it. That's what I want. I mean, I want this Colossus storyline wrapped up. I want it wrapped up good and clean. I want consequences mm-hmm. for Beast. That's That's mm-hmm. what I want more than anything. And also, like, I'm really serious. You stop talking to Black Tom like that. <laughs>
4: I want Beast off the team. I want consequences for Beast, and I'd like to see one or two new characters come in. I'd like to see... I had previously said Dazzler, but I have good hopes for her actually being in Legionnaire's in Season 2, but I, I would like to see a little bit of shuffling. I don't know what they're doing with Quentin Quire or if, if we're gonna, you know, if he's too fixed on this to be a part, but I, I would I would like to see one or two characters kind of shuffle in and take on this role.
1: I would like to see Tommy the Morlock. That was uh like a, one of my favorite little moments in Inferno when we see her as like a spy working for X-Force. Like I would love to get into seeing that kind of a network of spies and and agents doing little things and big things around the globe and like tracking orcas I would love to see it kind of like lean into that and sage as like central intelligence you know collating the data or whatever like I that I'm kind of hungry for that here I feel like that's what this book should and could be um yeah you know without sacrificing like the character work I just want more characters I just want it to feel more like agents of x-force rather than x-force if that makes sense yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah
3: absolutely I would like to get away from from the cia angle i like i like that they're trying to tell a story about the dangers of the cia but after a while it runs the risk of just becoming a cia story
1: no but that's what that's kind of what re- i want though I, I kind of want to I mean, see I mean, like that's just that's you fine know, but adventures like, like and like mutants doing shit i,
3: I want to see mutants doing shit and i want to see the black ops stuff but i want to see less of this like mirroring of of human nature. yeah I just want
4: because to... it's a cia story doesn't mean we have to be like secretly controlling foreign governments for our own interest like In south america Jessica,
3: central america Koa should not be the United States. It isn't and it's wrong for it to be. So I want it to be more of a, yeah. a mutant idea. But I, I want to keep the idea of the Black Ops team.
1: I also yeah. wouldn't mind seeing uh Mikhail Rasputin die and be resurrected and start wearing little hot pants because if he would only do that like his brother and sister would, maybe he would steer away from the villain.
2: That's why he's so family. evil. That's why
1: he's so evil. You see that full body yeah. outfit?
2: More evil the
3: longer it yeah. gets. Magic struggles with evil but you'll notice that when she's in her super heroic personality
1: she's wearing those little hot pants same with colossus three thighs for a free people by jonathan for a free people. <laughs> hey
0: everybody nico here again and one of the things i think is the most amazing about the kazar book we've been covering is i only just noticed in editing it and putting together the credits and details page that This title is actually edited by Jordan D. White, the editor on the X-Books, and that really tracks with a lot of the things we've noticed about this book and how we felt about it in general. It's really been a pleasure to see this title surprise us two issues in a row, and I know we're all really excited to see where it goes. It leads us to a lot of questions of... The power and significance of microcosmic culture that have macrocosmic responsibilities. And, you know, I don't think we would be able to live in a world where we see this happening if it weren't for the massive success of Wakanda, thanks to the Black Panther film. And I think it's a really cool thing to see that there is a general idea that you can create a community and it's worth protecting and it's your own and it's your people and your culture. And I think it's really important to keep talking about those things. I also want to point out that at no point when I get a little flip about killing two million people and saying the Avengers have done worse, do I really condone Gene eating Dabari. You'll hear what we're talking about. Anyway, guys, enjoy this next Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting (laughs) segment of X's for Podcast, where
5: we talk about comics, mutants, magics, and Marvel, week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at Dazzler AOA.
3: I'm Steve, hi. You can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda,
0: that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And I am Nico, who is now very aware that the Savage Land is much larger than I ever expected it to be. And you can find me pondering that map over on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N.
5: Right, and this issue was, like, ma- like science, saber-toothed tigers, and body horrors, oh my. And I guess that means we're talking about Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land number two. This issue was written by Zach Thompson. Artist is Jermaine Garcia. Mateus Lopez is the color artist. And BC's Joe Carmana is the letterer. All right. So, how did we feel about getting that expanded map of the Savage Land and sort of really getting to know the land a little bit more than we did before? Because, from what I remember, it was always dinosaurs, dinosaurs, high evolutionary, maybe some mutates and dinosaurs. I love it. Don't forget
3: shield bases. Oh, Oh, shield shield bases. bases. Magneto. bases <laughs> yeah uh, yeah no I love this I love getting a map I'm one of those dorks who was always like poring over the maps and all the Lord of the Rings books before going into the rest um, the Hobbit map in particular I loved so much that I eventually learned how to read the runes
5: oh my the, god I can see that <laughs>
3: <laughs> you remain uh, a pleasure and a treat it was the start of a lifelong obsession with Conlangs honestly <laughs>
0: um,
3: <laughs> but it's really cool to me not only that we finally get to see what the hell the Savage Land looks like because I've never known I was always like how big is this is this like the forest preserved by my house big? Is this like <laughs> Mirkwood big? I mean, it seems like it's Mirkwood is like only a little part of this in this one, Moldwood. Also, Lemuria is n- near the Savage Land? That's new to me entirely. I thought Lemuria was like under Asia somewhere?
5: Yeah, that is weird. That is new.
3: Yeah, that's completely new to me. Maybe that is under Asia on this map. I don't know.
0: Savage Land seems very large and I like it. Well, and So this is sort of something that I had a conversation with my dad about, kind of sort of not really at all, but kind of maybe a little bit My dad said how he loves the fact that while it's really hard for him at times, the emergence of new understandings of history has been transformational for his understanding of the world. And he doesn't love finding out that the past was filled with horrors, but he does love that at least the right people's names are coming to light. And I said to him, part of that has to do with the presentation of the world as we see it, and the purposeful manipulation of time and time dilation, so certain things seem more significant than others, but there is less than 15 years between the Berlin Wall coming down and 9 11, and there are more than 20 years since 9 11. So, like, time dilation is something that we as a people have a really hard time with right? And we also have that sort of spatial dilation issue. Something I've uh, discovered while working in Disney World is when, uh, so I did something called the Walt Disney World College Program, the WDWCP. And then there was something known as the um, WDWICP, which is the Walt Disney World International College Program. And the only difference was you came from another country and got to work in Disney World for very little money instead of coming from this country and getting to work in Disney World for very little money. But I want to bring the point of my favorite thing was always talking to people. About from other countries about their understanding of America, and then talking to Americans about their understanding of America because this is fascinating on every level. I would have friends be like, oh, I'm just here from Ireland doing my international college program. I'll be here for eight months. I really want to see New York City. And I'm like, okay, sure. We're in Orlando, though. And they're like, right. Well, so how far is New York? I mean, like, <laughs> this, is, this is one country. So it's what? It's a, it's a two-hour drive? And I'd have to be like, no, it's, it's, a, it's literally it's a 16-hour hour drive. I live 45 minutes from New York City. At like in traffic so like and then they would say oh where are you from and I would say I'm from New Jersey and they would say isn't New Jersey a town in New York and I would say yes. no New Jersey is a, is a it's a state and uh, half <laughs> of New York wants nothing to do with most of New Jersey and um, half of New Jersey wants nothing to do with most of New Jersey and I'm in the half that wants nothing to do with most of New Jersey so it's one of those things where 80% of us live in 20% of the land so oh, wow. it, it's a really interesting disproportion but like almost all of us are within uh, an hour of New York or Philadelphia, and the rest of the state is all deadlands, and it's like terrifying. So I bring that all up to, and kind of essentially say, we have such a little understanding of other places in our world as geographically challenged people who are beholden to a map that was designed to give white people advantages. Yeah. So our understanding of real world is sort of city and. Uh, like region is pretty fucked so until we can get alaska right on a map i don't know just how much i understood the savage land until this this was the first time that i ever felt like i sat down and said yeah the real world makes less sense i i kind of get the savage land a little bit the fact that you know this was a place where uh, one of the three characters that we're following had never been is wild
3: uh, yeah, that was a uh, that's that's pretty funny. I just, man, uh, I gotta say, Shanna the She Devil shines so hard in the oh, series. I'm falling gosh. in love with Shanna, and it's not just because of that incredibly cool and cute outfit
0: oh, and hyper functional. So
3: I'm loving these new redesigns of all these characters because they're just like rad as hell. And uh, yeah, Shanna just I, I've not, not read a lot of Shanna in the past. Shanna's really cool in the series.
5: Yeah, theme like I, uh, obviously whenever you go into Savage Land. Kazar's always the one that they, they drag out. And he's like, got, he's, you know, he's cute, but he's got the really cute Saber Two tiger that I'm like, Zaboo. Getting to know Shana more. Shanna? Is it Shanna or Shana? Like, I never know.
0: I mean, you know, she's she's fictional. There's two ads. <laughs> no.
5: Getting to know Shanna more is just been such a delight in this series and in her, you know, more expanded role as like more of the like, mystical protector of the Savage Land. So how are the both of you guys seeing kazar actually deal with his new role, not only as just like the physical protector, but more of a mystical manifestation of the aliases of the, shav- of the Savage Land?
3: Yeah, that's fucking wild. I I never in my life, nothing prepared me for Kazar's face to tur- t- turn into a, what, a Pachycephalosaurus? Is that it? Yes. Uh, I was just like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> Shannon does not seem surprised or is terrified by it at all, which I guess this must have happened in the past before, but she's just like looking him straight in the face and he's like, Monster Man,
0: what the hell?
5: That was like hot and terrifying at the same time when he did that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> so.
0: My, I, I, yeah, 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 that was, that's actually one of my notes. Oh God, <laughs> what is Kazar's face all about? It is, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I just
3: like I'm thinking of this the panel where he's like my name's Kevin Blunder and I'm alive, but he looks like the most predatory reptile imaginable on that page. <laughs> yes,
0: and it's really funny because like it almost feels to be like number one. I'm concerned, and I don't mean this funny. I mean it's going to sound funny because I don't know how to say things serious. But like I kind of feel like Kazar sundowning a
5: little bit. <laughs> oh no,
0: like uh, what do you mean? this like this connection is so much too great for him he's kind of fading a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, Kazar, the man, is losing himself to this much bigger idea in a way that sort of is something we don't get to see from superheroes a lot and you know I was just lucky enough to be part of a panel presented by Piscataway Library in New Jersey which received an endowment from the National uh, Endowment for the Arts so thank you so much to everybody who made that possible and one of the things that I was lucky enough to talk about with the creators of the recent Nubia graphic novel, uh, the guy who does Harriet Tubman Demon Slayer was there um, we had a great time and we talked about how a lot of representation really isn't representation really early and and it kind of becomes a buzzword. It almost becomes like playing cards. Just make sure one of each suit appears. And one of the things that we said is, as much as I will always be the biggest Daredevil stand I know, Daredevil is the furthest from blind any character could possibly be. It's, he's just not blind. The only ability Daredevil lacks is the ability to perceive color. That's literally the only thing he can't do as a blind character. And that is ridiculous. And because of that, we never really see superheroes get sick. Yeah. We see them die in ridiculous ways. You know, within two years, Superman was killed by doomsday and Batman had his spine broken. Great job. You know, but like, this is for me. A really powerful analogy about the cost of what it takes to be a hero in a way that isn't like he's giving himself over to dark magic, watch it eat his family. It's like yeah, it's, it's it's a really real thing and it makes him seem
3: like a soldier. I was trying to cast back my mind to think of other superheroes like this, and I can't I can't like honestly it's like, I don't know, people who died of the legacy virus, but that was handled so differently.
5: Oh, that was so badly done.
0: The only thing I've got is Marvell. Dying of space Ah, cancer. Yes, right, absolutely. Is he the only one who's never come back? Like I think he's the only one who's never come back. That's even my point, exactly. That he is that example that we can point to a hundred ways as the only one of all those things. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Captain Marvel, the the only cancer story (laughs) in comic (laughs) history, seemingly. Not really,
0: probably, but like... But the the only one that sticks, it seems. Absolutely. Yeah, because
5: I mean, they had Firestar for a while, but you know, they magicked it out. It was really crazy. Like, oh, I guess it was Thor. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's a good call too. But oh yeah, You know I mean, what? Yeah. I think because the resolution on Jane, while ultimately very fulfilling, is such that it sort of re it. It kind of. Sometimes I I don't I'm not spoiling the end of Thor for anybody right? Thank you because no. I I actually have not read the okay. whole run. Oh, okay, don't spoil it. I like I like Thor in War of the Realms
3: and Avengers a whole lot. Like when Jane Foster is Thor, uh, I Jane, think that's really
0: cool. Yeah, Jane Foster is my Thor. Like um, like that is my Thor, and we've talked about it a lot on the show. But like the fact that you can already see Jane Foster running around in Valkyries and is a person who is a yeah. doctor immediately following within one within one, one month of the run of thor that she was the thor that every time she transformed it made her cancer come back like you know that that there is so quickly a turnaround on that story is occasionally disappointing for me
3: yeah yeah i feel mm-hmm. like i feel like that was like you know trying to do like a remission storyline but obviously like it's it's a mystical transformation when you know into a god being so it's not exactly as Although Kazar is uh, turning into
0: dinosaurs, so I don't know.
3: Maybe, maybe that's not exactly more realistic. <laughs> uh, you know, I think if you're asking me,
0: what's more realistic—a man devolving back into the reptile he came from—you know what I mean?
3: Yes. Yeah. I, I actually, I really uh, like your point about this. I wasn't thinking about Kazar in terms of a sickness, but it's increasingly clear that yeah, like he's really going through it, and there's the you know he has his PTSD from dying in addition yeah. to whatever is overtaking him.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 moving me. It's, like, actually moving me. Zach Thompson is such a master of emotion, yet still doing cerebral. Like, not that I don't love Hickman, but sometimes Hickman is cold. Yeah,
3: Yeah. I I get what you're saying. Like, Hickman is good at humor, but Hickman has, like, a a kind of a distanced humor. Uh, I feel like Zach Thompson does nothing but think about people's feelings. Beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, and think about fungus, too. but.
6: Oh, Fungus funny.
5: is always exactly. a, a really good great writing. conversation. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so part of what I do love is how the very sensitively done writing is balanced with this amazing and beautiful art. We get uh, uh these heroes telling a very loving, caring story with some real repercussions for the Savage Land. It looks like we get these amazing, vibrant colors that are so dreamlike.
3: Oh my god! Yes
5: these beautiful horrific creatures and the horrific transformations I'm just I'm digging all of it in the way the vibe is just gelling together so well
3: I love that everything looks like a sunrise just all the time so gorgeous when the colors are cool they're like a warm cool and uh, I don't really know what that even means what I just said but it's like, <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 re- it's actually a real
5: thing so don't worry yeah. you, didn't you didn't say, say anything it makes really sense. Sense. Yeah.
3: good and then like Joe Caramagna too while we're while we're talking about the sometimes underappreciated artists and comic books like the I have been reading a bunch of Joe Caramagna Economics recently and just like noticing when the sfx are on page all the time and i think this is a strength that uh mr carmania has like some of these wounds, and then when the giant dinosaur a-bomb goes off the kirk thom in the background is just like top-notch lettering
5: really cool my favorite is on page 11 when uh kazar goes through the tree and it's like that big crack and it's got like the ripply crack
3: yeah yeah yeah, that's really good. I love the, like, the edges through it.
5: Yes. Oh.
0: like And I love what we're saying about how the visuals all come together across a bunch of different forms. I, yes. It just came back, so I get to bring it up this much. Project <laughs> Runway is my church. And Nina Garcia is my personal pontifex. And... I live for this stupid show I was an art history minor in school And I feel like In many ways Project Runway Captures what I love about museum work It captures what I love about a gallery It captures what I love about failing And accidentally making really fucking Ugly art It really tells a story that, that moves me Very passionately on a regular basis And the first challenge back This week was they were given the color wheel And everybody had to do a true color from the color wheel So it was 16 different colored dresses and every dress was bright and every dress popped and it's because they said what the world needs right now after what we just went through is more color than it's ever had it needs to come alive the world needs to welcome us back with color because we've just been so drab and dreary and trapped in our homes the world even when it was beautiful out seemed like it had a pallor cast on it and it was just so heavy to be that it was time to bring back color. And I feel like this book is a celebration of tones that have been missing from our world in the last two years. This book really feels to be elevating certain shades and values that have been forgotten for what I might call a hyper-vibrant digital age, right? You know, Apple uses one set of colors, Google uses one set of colors, and they're meant to look really powerful on a computer screen. These are colors that are meant to look muted in an almost pastel kind of way there's a very pastel chalk quality uh, to it and it expresses an otherness the color removes me from the mundanity of my life and transports me to a place where the color is saturated by the amount of clear water in the air. It's a really powerful, transformative quality he's communicating through such subtle shading.
5: Yeah, with the coloring, it it, it very much reminds me of one of my favorite movies. So there's a, a 1950s movie starring Joan Crawford, Mercedes Cambridge, called Johnny Guitar. Like One of the things that I really love about it is just like the amazing color scheme that they use in it and it's shot in this different film so like there's really not a lot of movies that have that same color pattern to it but it, it kind of brings me back to that because it's just otherworldly and it really helps transport you to another place but like nico what you're saying with project runway like like this brings up all of my horror vibes and like horror is my church <laughs> so like <laughs> This is like bringing up. We've got giant spider, we've got you know crazy body transformations. We've got Shanna using like this horde of ants to try to help solve the situation, and this hits all those buttons. We've got crazy polycyon creatures. It's like, oh, I'm digging it all.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, um. There's so much in here. There's so much in here. There's a (laughs) prophecy in this issue that comes true by the end. That's what that's something I love. I love to see that there are just little bits and pieces of this colonization story going on with the plunders of all people at the end of the book talking about the fear of being colonized by these machines and being they literally use the word colonized over and over but Mm -hmm. you know we get that beginning scene with his father talking about the value of the mineral of the land and freeing it from this awful place like this place sucks the only thing of value here is what i can sell leading from that weird fish prophecy in his dream the fish speaker who says uh by the end of the day two billion animals will die leading up to the attempted colonization plot at the end resulting in i don't know maybe the worst thing kazar has ever done yeah yeah. And
0: like that's such a great point too that it's so self-contained because in so many ways I felt like this issue was miles away from the previous issue but still felt very connected. So I love that like yeah there is a really complete story in each issue.
3: Absolutely. I love this episodic but still serialized storytelling. This is what I want in comic books. Please
0: Very John Carter. You're doing great. I yeah. love it.
3: There's I feel like there's so much in this that like we don't have time to actually adequately talk about all of the things that are happening. There's just so much going on <laughs> I, I love we talked a little bit last time about how uh matthew is like Matthew is kind of like this driving force for pushing the Savage Land into new dimensions because he's working with the the Flesh Weaver and trying to uh, modernize the place. But he also represents this like strange sort of nativist indige- indigeneity where he like yeah. he's like, I was born here. They weren't, even though like he's not really a part of the Savage Land. He's a product of the outer world. So he does know the Savage Land better than his parents. His parents still call the tree people the tree people, but he knows their real name. He's like, no, they're the Botor. And he understands them a lot better, I think, than... Than his parents do despite the fact that he's sort of uh, pushing against their, their like sacred respect for the land and defense of the land and feeling about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's
0: so much going on. I have to so I'm going to be that kid that was raised Catholic for a second and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So I think the most powerful thing that Zach Thompson did is he named everything wrong in the book on purpose because he inherited so many wrong names.
5: Oh. Uh... Right?
0: Now the plunders all do wish to steal from the natural Earth. But Kazar doesn't. That's why Kazar forsakes the name Kevin yes. Plunder because he will not be a plunderer. While Shanna is in fact a creature of great power and very feminine, hey, what's up, babe? Eh? Right? Ooh. She is no actual devil. Shanna, the she devil, is actually a kind, loving, warm, nurturing figure. Now, the book is also called Kazar. Lord of the Savage Land, and I can't think of anybody who has less control over any situation in this world than Kazar yes. right now. <laughs> we do yeah. get told and then, you are no Lord of the Savage Land. Yes. And I love and that. And now here's where things get a little Catholic. I don't know what Zach Thompson was raised, but it's really important that we consider the name Matthew has a purpose. Matthew from the Bible is... Um, Matthew's book is basically like, even if Jesus, he's the first book of the New Testament, right? And he's sort of like, even if Jesus is giving us Christianity, we cannot forget Jewish tradition. Even if we are beginning a new world, we cannot leave behind what came before. That's literally the book of Matthew in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And this kid's name is Matthew. And his whole purpose is taking us to what's next through a new savior, without leaving behind the past. Even though
3: what's next might be dangerous and corrosive to the
0: old way. (laughs) It it might lead to certain death. Like, for Khazar who could find himself, ultimately, a little bit Good friday would and then a little bit Easter sunday would You know what I mean? So I think Zach Thompson is also probably, I mean, maybe he didn't mean to do the the, the Christianity stuff here, but, like, I think he is weaving a complex parable on so many levels. Like, I, I'm sure there's levels that none of the three of us have in common that we want to discuss about this. <laughs> and right. we each think we have too much to talk about. Yeah.
5: So, how do we think the dinosaur bomb going off, basically destroying Moldwood? How do we think that's going to affect Kazar's relationship with the rest of the Savage Land going forward? Uh, You know, as as you said, they do say you're no protector of the Savage Land. Like, you're like, what? How is that going to change this title going forward in the next few issues?
3: well like nico brought up that it, the comic is called lord of the savage land and i've noticed that i don't think past volumes of khazar or past stories of khazar have had that subtitle as as like a big thing Not so, as a big I thing mean, for sure yeah yeah, yeah no, so no, it's, it's definitely making an interesting point about like the master versus protector and i mean in the, the first issue I, I distinctly remember going over this and being very interesting about the idea of the savage land doesn't need a, a, a lord or a master but it does need defenders and it's like with defenders like this who needs enemies <laughs> you know, yes Khazar is not like his parents but he, I think this is telling a little bit of a story about how we are often like the way we were raised and the people who raised us whether we want to be or not you know Oof. like maybe we still have more to learn maybe we are not the allies that we thought we were always
0: and what's oh, I I deep. It's so deep right like <laughs> so deep and Totally the opposite of where I was going, because I was going somewhere that's a little bit Hello, Dolly, a little bit Donkey Kong, and a little bit King of America from Sandman. So I didn't think about any—just how how me of me. I'm like, oh, right, there would be some serious repercussions. In my head, I'm like, so now he has to go on a PR tour. He. Oh, no has to get out there, and I see Shanna with, like, a like a, a flora clipboard, and she's pointing at things, making, like, you know, giant platforms appear out of roots and stuff, yeah. and Matthew's running behind, and he's like, we are a go, the apes are coming, we have the ape invasion coming, they will be here, he has to be ready to give this speech, no, we said the blue loincloth, and, like, and <laughs> Kazar getting up there, and just being like, Ladies, gentlemen, I've now forgotten where I am. Oh, that's right. Hello. And like,
3: (laughs) I don't think there's going to be any PR tour for this one. Uh, Like, (laughs) the the, the three of us are not forest dwellers um, like it's hard for it's sometimes hard for city people or suburb people to imagine the the sheer density of biodiversity in like an acre of rainforest absolutely it really is or even just a regular forest we already know from the beginning not an exact number but two billion animals died in this and many Uh. more plants besides much more fungus was raised from what appears to be like the forest floor was burnt down into a crater. Like, a lot of life is now gone, and the Votor are going to remember all of that life, because they're not like humans. They don't see themselves
0: as separate from it. Right. Which is really the driving force behind this book, isn't it? Things are part of what they're part of no matter their understanding of the fuck because that's Matthew you're part of what you're part of even if you don't understand your cog in the wheel it's also
3: a little bit like the (laughs) Selvern from a certain previous Zach Thomas uh, Zach Thompson series I mean it's not like that but I would like to see it go in that direction (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the idea of just you know all life forms in a given area acting symbiotically for the greater whole of the community
5: I really found the discussion or you know confrontation with the poliscius on amazing the thing that really struck me was when they were talking to him and they're like what's your name and he, they're like i'm just a caterpillar a caterpillar has no money a caterpillar has no rights my favorite like, panel in this whole country yes i love it so much <laughs> a i am caterpillar like, has
3: no money i read that line and i was like what <laughs> wait okay
5: <laughs> I, right, I'm like, oh my God, this is such an amazing, just like, I, I love the whole sentiment of this right here. Obviously, you know, we have Matthew in league with the flesh weaver himself and this little cute little caterpillar that turns into something even bigger. How do we feel about that? characterization of the polyscions and the way they feel about themselves in relation to the rest of the savage land even though they are themselves maybe invaders although it may turn out that they were related to some of the original creators so
3: i wonder what this means this progenitor of the savage land my creator yes. maybe your creator like does i mean this thing is a machine created by it so like Of course, it sees Domavoy as its god, because it literally is. So, like, maybe, like, you know, when you're a human, sometimes you're like, oh, well, I know my god, so it must be your god as well.
5: (laughs) Oh, that makes sense. Okay. um,
3: Like, what... like they they remind me of like the robots from Isaac asimov series sometimes like they're fully aware that they are robots and that they are not like individuals but they act like them in a lot of ways you know
0: the caterpillar really kind of made me think about something really interesting as well though the caterpillar being like oh yeah you're going to see lol like there was something transformational about the caterpillar's conversational behavior that made me think about the interpretation of the word colonizer which i had seen used so many times and now it's one of those things where We repurpose a word in a way that removes its original meaning. The word Nimrod originally meant the world's greatest hunter, but because Bugs Bunny sarcastically called Elmer Fudd Nimrod, everyone thought it meant idiot. So um, that's where that whole thing comes from. Bugs Bunny choose a carrot to represent a cigar like Groucho Marx. Bunnies shouldn't eat carrots. They're not good for them. I was going to say,
3: Bugs Bunny's whole thing is just doing every comedian's bits in the Oh, world. yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's why people think
0: bunnies eat carrots when they're not good for them. Um, carrots are not good for rabbits.
6: Really? Did
3: you, did you think this caterpillar thing was a little Absalom re- reminiscent, since he points
0: I, them in the way that they need to go? Well, I actually thought it was a really interesting way to juxtapose something... That I hadn't considered all of this use of the word colonizer because I've seen the word colonizer used in a very specific meaning to mean something that has hurt many people, people whose descendants mean a whole lot to me like, you know, when I hear the word colonizer, I think of that the pain my black friends experience like you know what I mean, hearing the word colonizer here. They kind of literally mean like insect colony. I mean, yes,
3: but it is very clearly
0: like they are making an allegorical
3: relationship. Oh, yeah. Which,
0: why when the supernatural proto-caterpillar creature, which for all intents and purposes, why doesn't it talk like the Botor? Why doesn't it sound more like Savage Land creatures? Has this conversational discussing money discussing yeah. rights the juxtaposition of the idea of colonizer in two distinct meanings is then rejuxted by having one of the creatures that's part of the colonization identity represent modern idealism and modern um, linguistics in a world that it's so out of place in but that's, that's isn't
5: that sort of where it appears this is going with the polycyon where oh yeah I'm
0: totally where, into it yeah
5: <laughs> I, I love it right I love it I'm like I'm like this is this is a really fascinating look against at you know modernism versus traditionalism although you add that extra layer of the maybe inappropriateness of the protectors of the savage land not being from the savage land or being colonizers themselves so it's got so it's like such an amazing onion it's got so many layers i'm like
3: can we peel back another one
5: (laughs) yes peel back another one
3: what do you guys think about the damavoy name we we've already talked on a number of very recent Podcasts about Cachet the Deathless, but this. <laughs> Talking once again about Slavic mythology, the idea of the Domovoy is like a household spirit that is like the embodiment of the the progenitor of your family line. Like it's uh, it's the oh. it's the fountainhead of your family, the progenitor. And I think that's so interesting that that word gets used in such a specific and direct way in this comic, and that it's a Slavic term just further divorces it from having real Savage Land authenticity. I guess I would say or indigeneity. And it's also interesting to note that if it's if it claims to have created the Savage Land. Which I thought that was aliens, but I don't know if it claims to have created the Savage Land, if it's, if it's actually staking a right to that, is it saying that the Savage Land itself is a manufactured colonization
0: of Antarctica? Like what is the, what's the truth here? Oh, and I really love that because it makes me uh, like, I'm, I am far from questioning any authentic culture. I am not casting any statement about any real-life culture, no matter how new. I don't care if your nation formed two years ago, if it formed in a beautiful, kind, civil way, or it was a necessary change. Let's go with it. You know what I mean? But the Savage Land is not some – the Savage Land did not grow of its own volition on the earth. Right. The Savage Land was put here. You know, if we're talking about the Savage Land being created by someone, doesn't that kind of make the Savage Land a colonizer of our planet?
3: Well, I mean, yeah. It, the Savage Land is not a natural thing, and I think that is constantly reinforced by the fact that it's a rainforest in the middle of Antarctica, right? But
0: then <laughs> right. what right does it have to say, don't take back our space person who is of the Earth? Well, it's also, I mean,
3: Oof. I, I'm, not the, I'm not the expert on this, but I have always understood the Savage Land to be a, a preserve. You know, it is a preserve of the, of the time of the dinosaurs. It's not... It's not created to be there in opposition to Antarctica. Our Antarctica is formed around it, as it has not changed, or at least that's what I thought it was. I don't know if that's true, but I I always felt like it was some kind of a an attempt to preserve the Cretaceous period past its extinction event by outside forces. Although I don't I don't have comics I can point to to say that that is true. I I do feel like for some reason that's the case.
0: A thousand percent. But then it's even that outside forces. Outside forces are putting it here. Why does the Savage oh, Land yeah. get to boss around people from Earth, if it was Put here. I'm not saying the Savage Land should go. It just sort of seems like the Savage Land is a little sanctimonious about what life gets to survive at what cost.
5: Nico, are you saying the Savage Land is America?
0: Well, My question is, if the Savage Land is all about certain things should be preserved, the Savage Land, being where it is in Antarctica, inherently changed the formation of lives on the planet and by its very existence ultimately extinguished the possibility of species. So who is the Savage Land to get angry about two billion lives when we don't know how many lives the Savage Land's mere existence in a world it should not be in results in? It's just a
3: really interesting question. That isn't. That's an interesting thing to raise. Although, in my opinion, I don't think any almost anything lives in uh, Antarctica most of the time. Um, so I don't know how great the ecological impact necessarily was. But you, you do raise an interesting point about the existence of the Savage Land. But I mean, those two billion lives existed. They were alive. They did, yeah. They're dead today. You know that that
0: cost is still real. Absolutely, and that's. I was not meaning. To, I, mean, I was not meaning to trivialize all <laughs> those fictional bugs.
3: The fictional Antarctic continent. Don't worry.
7: Okay,
0: right? I'm not, yeah. But it's, you had said about how, you know, it's almost like, well, our, you know, people have certain assumptions about their gods, right? And- yes. It drove me to one of my favorite Tori Amos lyrics because it was actually something I meant to bring up in the first place. Maps mean a lot to me. Maps help me to understand things. The fact that Tori Amos has a map in From the Choir Girl Hotel that lays out the land and that she has a map of America that Scarlet travels on Scarlet's Walk. That map there. they're both up in my office. They're both framed in my office. And, you know, the the map of, you know from the Quargo Hotel is like, it's liner note sized. But the Scarlet's map is like, it's a fucking hardcover. It's gigantic. And one of the lyrics on Scarlet's Walk in the song Scarlet's Walk is, what do you plan to do with all your freedom? The new sheriff said, quite proud of his badge. And then another line is, tell your gods for me that all debts are off this year and they're free to leave. And it's this idea that people came to America and told old gods to go home. And people came to America and said, well, this is my badge. And now this is, I'm here. And there's this sort of sense of competing gods in the Savage Land, because I'm, I'm so fascinated by this sense of the progenitor of the line as it's introduced to the Savage Land where we're at now. Because, so, it's a separate thought. My name is Nico. I created a dimension. It's inside of a snow globe. I created people. They now exist in the snow globe. It is a billion years of snow globe later. It's only been a couple of hours for me, but it's a billion years of snow globe. The people in snow globe have evolved a billion years. I've decided, creator of snow globe, I would like to put more people in snow globe. Whole new species. It's my snow globe. I sort of wonder how that works in the Savage Land. Could whoever's creating and preserving the Savage Land is—are they making decisions? Are they high-evolutionarying behind the scenes as they want? Because this is a very different Savage Land than Chris Claremont's brainchild Savage oh, about, Land. yeah
3: yeah i mean oh, is it though it, it, it does feel like i don't know i feel like we've talked a little bit about the savage land as if it's some thoughtful thing but i don't think it is i think it's just a community of people living now at this point i think that the fall people and the tree people whatever the fall people's real name in the botor are the things that keep it going at this point you know they're farming the land they're tilling it they're harvesting it and they're also living in it and communicating with the life around them as they go i, always think I they mean land had
0: a consciousness
3: I, it's not my <sighs> take on it, although mm. we clearly have a green, you know, like yeah, yeah, okay. there's like a deep subconscious vibe to it, you know. But I don't oh, think true. it's anything that makes decisions. I think it's I think it's like the collective personification of the life that is there in the. I think of it like the green, you know. I the green is not a, a, a thoughtful thing. The Parliament of Trees are, but from DC Comics, I should say. Yeah,
5: but, oh, but the Parliament of like, Trees like, has but, the Savage Land been destroyed and rebuilt? Maybe not destroyed totally, but destroyed to a point. Uh, you know scaled back and rebuilt so many times that it's going to take some new shapes and forms every time we see it
3: Mm, yeah fair um and honestly that's probably for the best especially for this series if you want to write a series where you like tell an anti-colonial story about the savage land then you just have to you have to do a new thing
5: yeah What you were talking about earlier, Nico, reminded me of, of course, I always bring it back to Star Trek. There's a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode where they go to the planet, they, you know, Dax pilots it in, and it turns out that they're going to the planet caused a colony of people, right? So, you know, when it's time for them to leave, they have to decide whether they're going to purposely crash the ship and keep that colony of thousands of people alive, or if they're going to go back to station so that Major Kira could survive. They decided, uh, you know, that they wanted to stay, but obviously future Odo was like, no, Kira's my bae, I gotta like make sure she gets back to the station. But like- Kira is get... bae, I have to make sure she gets back to the station,
0: the console. <laughs> oh. But yeah,
5: but that sort of reminds me of that whole progenitor talk. So like, you know, is, is there like a mythical being or is there just a situation that happened that caused it?
3: Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, I feel like I don't believe this whole idea that the Domavoy is the creator of the Savage Land. Maybe the creator of the new Savage Land,
0: you know, in its own I, I think the creator of something, and that's even kind of what I think I was trying to say with the, the snow globe, maybe he was the creator of something in the Savage Land, and sort of the way I- Dr. Doom is like, look at me, I, you know... I'm God now, or whatever, and I'm all magic. And then every now and then Scarlet Witch is like, I'm a little too much magic dick for you. And he's like, no, you're not. (laughs) Oh, damn it, you are. (sighs) So, like, it's maybe it's one of those things where he's like, "I am doom." Well, you're only doom, most. Of his time. <laughs> maybe he's like co-creator of the Savage Land, and they just forgot to give him credit until his estate sued many years later, and now they must always have a Savage Land title in production.
3: You know, it's really completely wild. I'm I'm going to be talking about Savage Land literally all day today. Um, that's amazing. It's, that's just how things worked out. Um, but like the the thought to me that like. Colossus is just, like, somewhere in here while this is all going on around you. It's (laughs) hilarious.
0: Oh my god, yeah, it's that Savage Land!
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's that same Savage Land where the
0: events of the other thing I'm gonna talk about today is... (laughs) And, you know, I was actually thinking how funny it is that now I'm going over to X-Men, and so I can't stop talking about awkwardly shoehorned-in characters from the 1970s. Hey, you leave Nightmare <sighs> out of this, okay? <laughs> I am coming for Nightmare guns a-blazing, because I love-, I love him. Like, it's good coming for Oh my for god, him. yeah. I think oh Nightmare is one of the most perfect campy villains of all time. I really do. Like I love him. He is yeah. he is he is every bad story trope that they removed to create Morpheus. I love him. He's so good. I'm not here to say that because all Gene Grey did was kill everybody over on Debari. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not here to compare tragedies, right? This isn't the pain Olympics. But I just want to point out that I'm pretty sure I've read arcs of New Avengers, where the New Avengers have killed a whole lot more than two billion creatures in the Savage Land. The Savage Land is filled with microorganisms. I'm pretty sure every time Wolverine spits, it kills a (laughs) trillion things in the Savage Land.
5: That still doesn't mean it's right.
0: Yeah. Counterpoint, though.
3: In this series, with the focus of its being on, you know, ecology and sustainability and the sacredness of all life, I think they matter more. Oh, a thousand
0: percent. I mean, that's what I was saying was a dumb point, even.
3: No, yeah, I'm not saying that that was, like, you know, what you were trying to say, but I think that's a nice (laughs) segue into talking about, like, how because it's the Savage Land, and I don't mean because it's, like, preserved and so it's somehow special, but because of this this absolute sacredness of life to everything in the Savage Land, the cultural way that it views life. this matters a lot more right like this is something that should matter in new york city this is something that should matter in metropolis it's something that doesn't matter there it is, and it, it, this series i think is positing that it should i think that it that we are told two billion animals will die we're not told to two billion people will die we're told two billion animals will die and we're not even told about the cost economic or ecologically to the other kinds of life uh that happens there but like i can absolutely believe that two billion beetles ants spiders uh creepers um you know springtails etc etc <laughs> all died in in that instant and it doesn't lessen the impact for Kazar and I think that's really nice. I think that's this is something that like in a hulk fight with or like with the avengers it would this would just be chalked up to collateral damage. It would be like sorry yes. oh, yeah. we'll relocate you. And that's kind of like like Kazar himself knows that that's not possible. And right. he like makes a half-hearted attempt to say like, you know, how I got to make this right, but like he's reminded and he already knew that like you can't make this right.
0: <sighs> There's nothing you
3: can make this right.
0: It's sort of weird beautiful mirror in, in the ugliest way, to yeah. Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, where the whole point of that is they're trying to literally stop an entire peoples from being moved or extinguished. And it's in an already built-up city that's being quote-unquote reclaimed by improvement, by betterness. And it's a really interesting parallel where, you know, if you can see it for Daredevil, and it matters when it's people, how does not it matter when it's an ecosystem here? And it it creates a really powerful mirror, because I really think you're right. The ecological point, you know, there's so many Wolverine stories where he's like, don't you dare hunt, right? I don't know why he, don't you talk about my husband? I don't know why he's Lisa Rinna, but um, (laughs) my God, I love that woman's fucking mouth. So... But then there's stories where he's like, "Listen, kids, hunting hurts people. Don't do huntins." You know what yeah, I mean? That's my favorite Wolverine. The that guy is who my favorite one. for like you know fucking up a bear. That's yeah. my dude. My background is actually Wolverine and a bear. So like oh. like on all of my computers, my background is the Joe Casada Wolverine and a bear from the Marvel. Oh, I thought you meant your like
3: I thought you meant like your heritage. Like your mama was a Wolverine, Papa was a bear.
0: <laughs> I don't. I don't want us to say another fucking word on this episode. <laughs> that was <laughs> the best ending possible. It was. <laughs> oh my god. Hey everybody, Nico here, and I'm really into this Darkhold event. You know, it's so much fun that I got Kevo to come over from HTML over on HTML, which is our Husband's Talking More or Less series. We talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as some other universes. If you're a big fan of the Spooky Scary, which right around now is a great time to be, you might enjoy our Alien coverage as well. But so Kevo comes over and Jonah's here. We have Broadway and Nathan and the five of us just can't seem to stop having a good time when we talk about Darkhold. I don't know if it's the sort of high energy balls to the wall, who cares what happens? Let's just tell a crazy story vibes. Or if it's some sort of synergistic madness brought on by the dark hold, as Kevo proposes, but there is something. Wacky about the fun we have covering these titles. It is of note also that we all felt a little bit more drawn to the secondary characters than the titular characters, in that we were a little bit more responsive to Pepper Potts than Tony Stark in the Iron Man issue, and a bit more responsive to Amadeus Cho than Blade in the Blade issue. And I think we all sort of collectively said that just means we need more issues of these. Now, yes, the Iron Man issue is super gross, but (laughs) we had a really good time and we hope you guys enjoy it too hey everybody welcome back to excess for podcast the show where we take a look at comics mutants magic and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles i'm nico and you guys can check me out on twitter and instagram at NicoAction. that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n where i have a normal amount <laughs> of fucking skin
5: hey everybody it's nathan you can find me online at dazzler aoa on twitter and instagram that's right dazzler aoa on twitter and
7: instagram
8: this is Kevo. You can find me over on the tweeters and the Instagram at Kevo Really K E V O R E A L L Y.
7: And I am dying of allergies. I'm Broadway. Oh. You can find me at way Three R D. I will be complaining about the sniffles. Oh.
8: So you're the vampire.
7: Yeah, 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 I'm big vampire. The sunlight is killing me.
6: Uh, and I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. that's P-E-A-K, and we hope you survive this experience. Uh, I guess like the people who were stuffed into the uh, old original Iron Man suits, Oh, um, they're technically still alive, I think, if you count having wires in your brain alive.
8: It was basically the Cybermen from Doctor Who. Uh, it was,
6: yes. You see, I was going to say Five Nights at Freddy's oh uh, okay
8: okay i see that so,
6: i like just a really mix? love broadway
0: trying to be like i'm afraid of the sun when he has the most beautiful melanated skin and like <laughs> oh thank you look, it's like you know beautiful. the rest of us are over here looking like shades of nicole kidman in a black and white catalog and <laughs> you know true excuse
8: accurate. me do not bogart my whiteness I i am, <laughs> pretty sure I am the whitest one here
0: I did just erase my and Jonah's Latino heritage, so I gotta check that. Well, you know, speaking of erasing history and putting it back together, however the fuck you feel, <laughs> we're here to talk mm. about the Darkhold one shots. And I'm gonna be really honest with you I am, I feel this was worth the money for the logo alone. <laughs> I love how deranged and like 1990s trading card game the logo on these books is. So we're here to talk about Darkhold Iron Man, Tales of Suspense, by Ryan North, no new name to this show, as Nathan and I covered his power pack recently, as well as a number of other titles he's covered in the last few years here at Marvel. The art is by Guillermo Sana, with color art by Ian Herring, and of course, the master of his craft, VCs Clayton Cowles, being the biggest, baddest motherfucker in lettering every goddamn book. We're also going to be taking a look at Darkhold Blade, which might go down in... In history, as the best surprise from art I have ever had in my life, which was by Daniel Kibblesmith, Frederico Sabatini, Rico Renzi, and once again, Clayton Cowles literally rewriting the book on lettering every single issue he does. I don't know if you're all as gay bones for this logo as I am, but I would literally move into this logo if it was a condo, right? Even if it was near a noisy train station. Guys, <laughs> okay, but seriously. We were talking in the green room for a second about how these. I, I don't know what you <laughs> reading. I like, I'm here <laughs> for it. But I guess the universe was remade, and these are them, or maybe this is like a multiverse thing, and they were each pulled from their own unique universe and timeline. I don't know what the fuck I read, but I definitely know that I read a book featuring Amadeus Cho and Nightcrawler that Mm. I doubt Jonah enjoyed that much somehow, (laughs) and Iron Man has the worst case of famosis I've ever seen
6: so my personal theory is that these are visions of what are each character going or at least going to be each character's personal hells that would turn them mad that's what i Mm. initially got from specifically the iron man story because i feel like that's what would no drive tony mad that his technology would overtake him and that he couldn't actually solve a problem but the blade story didn't really follow that theme it was just kind of uh an au where vampirism became a disease it was. like a ya novel uh the best way i can describe what that world was like and it was kind of just missing the teenage girl who was just different enough and she's gonna set the world free from the curse of the you know insert you know a large villain that's capitalized So I really had no idea. And in the green room, Nico likened this to Heroes Reborn, which I liked. But those side stories made sense because we're set in a completely different universe. And it's going on of, these are familiar characters. These are what they're doing in this universe. This is how this went down. I have no idea what these stories are meant to be. Like, there's no indication anywhere.
7: And it doesn't seem like they... Like, I I was kind of expecting that at the end of them, there would be some sort of, like, often when, you know, reality is warped, there's somebody who remembers and there's a moment where, like... They're kind of sort of breaking through. I was just watching the Demon Slayer movie and they're all trapped in these dreams. Tanjiro sees his reflection and his reflection is like, wake up. You know what I mean? I was expecting that kind of thing where like there's some sort of clear narrative through line, but they really do feel just like one shots. And and to what Jonah said, like the Blade one didn't feel as sinister. I was expecting him to be possessed by, I think it was called La Magra. Yeah. And it just felt way less than it felt like a like a shitty situation to be in, but not really for Blade, which is surprising.
8: Was anyone possessed by it? Like, I didn't think so. Right. Or did I miss it? It was all very confusing.
7: Yeah, I, I would need a second one. I would need a, a, a two-shot to flesh that out.
8: Because they like brought it up, and then I don't feel like it became anything. And so that was part of where that one lost me, too.
0: I have a theory, and it has to do with the central idea of... Urbanized myth. So, okay, the reason that once upon a time Batman was my favorite DC character and the reason Daredevil will always be my favorite Marvel character is because they represent the ideal of the urban myth. They are characters that blend into the gargoyles of the city and they are the night. They are literally what the bad guys are afraid of, right? The Punisher is just like a sociopath with a gun. He is just one of the bad guys. So, you know, as much as I want to make Frank my sub, he can fuck himself. But like Matt is different. Matt literally is the thing that bad guys fear when they go to sleep, right, and it's the same thing with the bats, right and I think Blade in the last twenty years has really begun to move toward like i I don't even know how else to explain it, but I guess the weird vampire demographic, yeah, you know um yeah I guess it hits that demographic but I feel like Blade is really beginning to represent that he is the myth of the night character and in the regard that Blade is the daywalker, his name is myth alone Blade understood that even if he was going to be the man to do the thing to hurt the people I think Blade needed to create a myth of something larger and I think perhaps he uses it to manipulate people I, I don't know but there is something very much about this central idea of these marvel knights k-n-i-g-h-t which we know that they even did play up speaking of jonah with heroes reborn we did see american knights in the pages of heroes reborn which featured these particular characters so i very much feel as though there really is meant to be something about the guardian devils and angels of hell's kitchen by tying it in with fisk that's my best guess Okay, let's talk about it. Iron Man, it's just a lot, guys. It's tough.
8: I liked the framing technique with the panels from early Iron Man issues. I thought that was very clever. Everything else about it was sort of middling. You
0: know, I found it particularly gross pants. Like, I really thought they did body horror well here, especially from an age where Marvel is body horroring every third book right? Like, the next book out of Marvel is going to be Lil Immortal Hulk, and it's just going to be Chris G doing his Lil Marvels, and it's going to be, like, Body Horror Immortal Hulk going through the Will Green Door, you know what I mean? It's going to be a huge seller, but... Marvel is really putting body horror in everything and I feel like this was kind of a nice way to do it kind of uniquely super gross a little anime tentacle monstery but you know it it kind of worked for me I thought this was that like skin overflowing out of his eyes
2: <laughs>
0: uh, uh, but here's the problem I guess the fact that I'm going (gasps) means Guillermo Sana and Ian Herring did, I guess, a really good job.
8: Okay, but you're only talking about the gross body horror. I also was a little grossed out by the characterization of Pepper Potts. I am not the most familiar with Iron Man of all lines of comics, so I can't speak to how Pepper Potts ever has been characterized in those. I only really know the Gwyneth Paltrow interpretation, and yeah. frankly, it is the oh. only redeeming thing about Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. That and kind of Glee, but that character is... So it's fine. No, but she's supposed to be stupid in Glee, so it's fine that she's stupid.
7: But like, And her cover like, of Landslide in Glee is iconic, just for the reason.
8: Yeah, record turning tables isn't bad either it's not great it's sort of like you know when you see an actor who's just an actor on Broadway and you're like you did your best buddy I liked this and I'm sort of feeling that way about Pepper Potts right now because <laughs> I really love her characterization in the MCU I have always felt like she is a very strong character and I know a lot of people have things to say about Pepper and Tony as a pairing but you know I, I think it sort of balances itself out there here they made her incredible wayfish and I love him so much and it's just so weird and an extra layer of creepy on top of all the body horror stuff already.
5: It's very weird it's very odd to see that Silver Age dynamic because that's, that's the Pepper that we're seeing right here we're seeing that Silver Age Pepper who really didn't have as much of an agency as she does now. We're, we're really seeing that and trying to bridge my mind between my hatred of Gwyneth Paltrow and And, like, my kind of like of this character, actually, as she has progressed, regressed to this point where she is solely, like, that's her focus in life, is to be in love with Tony. Just like Jane was originally, like, just solely the love interest of Thor. Like, it's so hard to see these characters regress back to that point.
6: Why did I think when you said Jane, I was thinking Tarzan? Because you know what? Sometimes Thor is a long-haired monkey man. Yeah, and he swings, a hammer. Watch out
8: for that tree.
0: Right? So, okay. Oh my god, he's like if you
8: cross Dudley Do-Right with George of the Jungle. Broadway,
0: I have a question for you, Broadway. I I know you're here for the weird, I know you're here for the goopy, I know you're here for the icky, (laughs) but how did you feel about the tin cansy? Because... Essentially, uh, he became the world's richest sardine at some point, and it still managed to morph into body horror. And I would love to get your take as one of our resident, no, sign me up for the spoops. I want to know, how did you feel about the gross, especially as we grow closer to Halloween?
7: So yeah, I mean, I do love the Ookie Spooky. One thing I thought was cool, like the body horror was obviously there. It reminded me a bit of the end of Akira as like the Akira of it all kind of takes over and like deforms Tetsuo. Like there's like, an iconic scene of like his arm growing and like morphing and it's just, it's disgusting. So like when you mentioned the sort of anime of it all, like that's where my mind went. I also think that visually it is kind of cool to have the... Uh, the ickiness kind of come out of his suit. Yeah, I I don't know. I wasn't expecting that. It's like, you know, you get your generalized body horror. you know, your Joshua Kassara kind of action. But that like sort of spilling out of his suit was a cool effect and, and kind of channeled the quintessential Iron Man. Like, it's like not a thing about Iron Man I would ever want to think about, but now I have to. Like, you think like, oh, like it might be sweaty in there. And now you're like, oh, like what if his skin spills out? So that's fun.
0: Yeah, it's the, it's the specifically, it's the drooling out of his face. Face that's just, like, I am a, I am on record as saying that if you want me to check out on your horror, all you need to do is make somebody bleed from the eyes, nose, ears, and mouth. If you want me to check out because you want me to see, like, the oldest trick that people have used to simulate because it's scary. I mean, yeah, that's what happens when people become ill. I do understand that. But, like, it's just, it's that thing where because I've seen it so many times, I kind of sit here and go, oh, no, is the blood come out of the dead baby's face? Oh, no. You know what I mean? like and I don't mean dead baby I mean like baby putting someone down by calling them a baby <laughs> <laughs> um so I yikes so <laughs> I I did think the skin was a brilliant twist on that it was definitely very definitely a big shock and you know I just to the heart of what you guys all said I want to take a minute and uh, jukebox hero one of our favorites on this show, the most of us are pretty big fans of at some point in his career Matt Fraction and especially many of our legion are enormous fans of his brilliant wife Kelly Sue DeConnick who I think has had equally if not more incredible series over the years whether it's you know his star power with things like Sex Criminals or her star power with things like Bitch Planet there are just so many incredible works to come out of those two and Matt Fraction in particular wrote a really brilliant uh short lived series called The Order, which told the story of Henry Hellrung, who was an actor that played Tony Stark on television, and also was Tony's real-life AA sponsor, and was ultimately given his own suit of armor during the Civil War days. And one of the people he served with was Pepper Potts, and she was a take-no-prisoners-fuck-you-up badass. It is of also equal and absolutely important note that Pepper Potts would also get a brilliant one-shot called Rescue. Rescue did run during Stark Disassembled. Stark Disassembled was the pinnacle arc of Matt Fraction's Invincible Iron Man, running Invincible Iron Man 21 to 25. There is an incredible series of variant design covers, the likes of which Marvel rarely has the balls to put out and they are exquisite. They are everything. They are brilliant mod art. I definitely recommend checking those out. They're very in the vein of Malib's work on Decalogue one through five. So definitely worth a look. So back to the subject matter at hand. Sorry. I just, I can't not stand for the fraction Deconic house. It is a house that deserves, it is a house that deserves standing all the time. So
8: man, go for it.
0: Right. And especially when they've both written such exquisite work, on Pepper, such a varied and divisive character, thanks to her varied, storied history. She's not a character that is necessarily easy to dial into this sort of vibe of, because having been the side piece for so many years, she wasn't given proper characterization. And you know what happens to minorities and women in comics when they are not given proper characterization? They're used as idiots. They are constantly used as the fool, so that their counterpart hero can always be the best. And we see it in idiot best friend syndrome. We see it in dumb kid sister. We see it in idiot girlfriend. We see it in friend who used to have powers and is now down on his luck. We see it in all sorts of tropes there. And until people like Kelly Sue and Matt Fraction took the time to examine Pepper, the deep, complex character that she is, we didn't really have the kind of character worth sinking our teeth into. Now, the fact that that all did coalesce around the same time, as pepper potts's brilliant portrayal the mc unification of it all right is definitely not missed by me jonah you have been suspiciously quiet about the goopy one herself hey how funny pepper potts Uh, and iron man turned to goop
8: never talk about goop ever again nico (laughs) commentary so
0: jonah talk to me about the six thousand dollar white t-shirt of this comic
6: the Kegel egg, oh eggs. boy! Uh, Six thousand white collar t-shirt that was just had a one little rip in it, and they called it fashion. So I have weird feelings about this issue because I think it succeeded in body horror but outside of that I don't know if it portrayed what it's trying to do because the book also didn't tell me what it was trying to do it doesn't tell me what it's trying to represent it doesn't really tell me where I'm supposed to be putting this or what this has to do with anything about what we read previously which is when the last time that we saw everybody they were in their you know gimp suits so I'm just really uh, confused as to everybody
0: wanted wanted is- <laughs> spank them with the bad book.
6: (laughs) Did anybody else think that Happy and Jarvis were actually being disintegrated and not knocked out? Yeah, I didn't think anybody survived. I thought they were killed, and then
0: I thought he, like, reanimated them with, like, fleshy stuff.
6: Yeah. I also don't fully understand from a full artistic point of view why this was from Pepper's point of view. It was an interesting choice that I don't know if it was needed. It was interesting but I don't know if we needed to go back to the Silver Age Pepper pots and that kind of characterization. I think there's a way for that to come across with her still being a dynamic character. It feels like it was a really strong egress when I don't think it needed to be.
8: Yeah, it didn't really facilitate the story yeah
6: i was really grossed out i again i do think they really succeeded well in the body horror element and especially the ending of the issue where it's like a bunch of people who are trusting tony stark and pepper's being dragged to her own suit it's you know horrifying but i'm not sure if it was fully delivered because i don't know who placed the order um and if i could also yeah. add, although i jokingly compared this to five nights at freddy's with the stuffing people into uh you know. of armor and mechanical stuff. It also actually reminds me of a series of currently, I think currently ongoing, I don't know if they ordered more because they keep ordering a bunch of them. Five Nights of Freddy's has a book series Mm. that talks about the lore and the different things that are outside of the game, but still help establish like what's going on and to help tie everything in and all that. And that's what this kind of reminded me of, of this short story of the horrors of, you know, technology and animatronics and stuff. And it also involves a lot of body horror and it was a, uh, a lot of interesting parallels for my references to draw that in and i wonder if you know any other comic fan who is reading this and is also a fan of fire outs at freddy's and read those books if
5: honestly you... the doctor who season finale that introduced torchwood
6: and this is how
8: i died doomsday me. <laughs> right like oh my god she really did say that didn't she she says yeah, yeah I, the thought the you, issue. I thought that's why yeah. you know cybermen no, yeah. I just brought up Cyberman because it's just fucking Cyberman, is literally it is. what it is. it literally
2: is, that's
5: all it is. Like, I, this is literally Cyberman.
8: I noticed it when I read the issue, and then I completely forgot, because Pepper got so boring. <laughs> Did you just say they took the spice <laughs> out of pepper oh. they
5: did. <laughs> I spent this whole issue the Iron Man issue just wondering why am I supposed to care about Tony Stark in this and then that's after I got past the initial fact of what the fuck is going on in this issue and like where are these characters why is this why is this happening like there's no there's no bridge to it it's like I loved I did love what happened in the Blade issue but like I did for this opposite reasons I just I couldn't get better. Into Pepper Pots in Tony Stark.
0: That's as good a point to segue over to what I thought was like. I I don't know how to explain it. You know, every now and then a band releases a piece of '80s core synth pop that like doesn't need to exist, but the fact that it exists is a gift. Like when AFI formed their side project Black Audio, and everything they released was just like a gift from heaven, right? It's just '80s synth pop that didn't need to exist in the 2000s, but every second of it was brilliant. This was a four color. Nightmare in splendor for me. I'm already a big comics Blade fan. I have no relationship with Wesley Snipes' movie Blade, which I feel really strange about. But I've seen all three, and I other than I can tell you, I used to think that was Ryan Reynolds' Jack, and now I'm like, damn dude, what was going on? <laughs> um, other <laughs> other than the least impressive outing for the film having Ryan Reynolds in it, I have no relationship with film Blade. I love Comics Blade. I love Tomb of Dracula Blade. That's my bro. Like, that's that's my guy. That's my Blade. I love him. And this was so fun. This was silly and cute, and the colors were so spectacular. You know, it felt like it was very influenced by the last couple of years of Buffy comics. It had all of the beauty and coloration of a francesco Francavilla with a little bit more pop ideology you know somewhere along the way somebody started praying to a statue of marilyn monroe in tokyo and we wound up with this instead and it's i just thought this was fucking charming on the art alone the story was fun light pointless silly but god did i love every page of the art in this book like i am rarely this effusive on art <laughs> yeah. but like I legitimately thought every splash of color, every brilliant use... And then you... I mean, okay. So those who know me know that I have an unattractive relationship with a fictional character that I, I am far too attracted to, and it needs to stop. But I have an unhealthy Which obsession. One? <laughs> I have an unhealthy obsession with Baron Zemo. Oh,
8: oh yeah! It's been a weird <laughs> year for
0: that. It's been a weird year where I've had the thing we have in common is we both love killing Nazis. So I thought you were going to be like that.
5: Logan or Cable, but no, Baron Zemo. Ugh,
0: yeah, I really Thunderbolts really impacted. <laughs> (laughs) on me because I just came into reading (laughs) comics as that was coming out. So like I fell madly in love with Citizen V and then I had to contextualize how I felt about that. (laughs)
7: And, okay, um, okay, okay.
0: but like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a screaming Mimi guy. I'm a songbird boy all the way. So getting my beloved citizen V and then cracking that shit open and it's nightcrawler. Yes. I just loved this book. I loved this book and I would love to get an opportunity to do a paneling with anyone who works on this. I mean, I really think Kibble Smith, Sabatini, Renzi, and Cowles delivered an exquisite masterpiece in 1980s bubblegum eyeglassware advertisement excess. And I'd love to know what you guys thought about it because I could just I could talk about this till I'm the colors of this book. So, what did you guys think?
8: Well, I have a nitpick about that reveal, though. It's it's sort of a question. So, Kurt was turned human, is the implication, Mm -hmm. yes? Yeah. But then he says immediately after that, I had seconds to teleport out to sea.
5: I I took that personally as he knew he was going to, he saw what was happening to everybody. Think of it as like a wave,
0: right? It's one of my favorite things in the history of Marvel Comics called the Annihilation Wave. Mm -hmm. And Nathan and I have recently discovered we are sticklers about the use of the Annihilation Wave.
5: Hey. (laughs) We are
0: very specific about how it can be used. It is one of the greatest weapons in the history of the Marvel Universe, and multiple crossovers have been centered around the threat of an Annihilation. And this created the V-Wave. And they even wanted us to make the connection with Annihilation Wave with the language annihilating himself Mm -hmm. and unleashing the V-Wave. So this was like literally a line of energy. Think what Wanda can do, heading outward across all of reality.
8: Like a dark curse.
0: Yeah, mm. like a dark curse. It's exactly.
7: Ugh.
5: That's so much um. better than I was like it's like the burn in Star Trek like it happened milliseconds later like in
7: Discovery. Mm. Yeah have you guys ever seen the last episode of power rangers in space? Yes. Um, oh, Zordon's like chamber yeah. and that like wave goes out. And I would imagine like the, the change from vampire, especially the like, Kurt being like blue and having, ta- sorry, not vampire, but change from mutant to human. With like him also having like changes in features because of his mutation, it probably like, took a second. So mm-hmm. I would assume like he bamfed out to see like as a last ditch effort. Did anybody pick up on like the part about the Krakowans like turning on each other and how mm-hmm. like because of the V Wave, there are a bunch of non mutant there are a bunch of like uh depowered mutants who then turned immediately into vampires. Yeah,
5: I did love I loved how they did that, like how they mentioned that it randomly affected just different heroes differently. Like that was just such an amazing point Um, one thing. Also, it reminded me of too just specifically with Kurt was in Mutant was in Earth X. I'm sorry, in Earth X, when uh, Gargoyle turned Excalibur to stone and Kurt bamfed away and then eventually became Velasco. But like besides that, like that whole him escaping just at the last minute because of his teleportation ability really reminded me of that. Thing that had
6: played out before, it was very shonen manga. Yeah, in the style, the mm-hmm. coloring, the way it was panelled, the way the lettering came about—it it was very shonen manga. My problem arises with this story has nothing to do with Blade. Blade is barely in this and is a second-hand character to this story. This is much more about Amadeus Cho slash the Last Avengers. Mm-hmm. I'm more so confused than anything. What this type ti- this This story has to do with anything. Not that it's a bad story. I didn't mind it that much. But I don't get it. I really fail to see how this story fits into anything and if it's that it's going to be later revealed once all these one shots come out for each of the you know the characters that were chosen that Wanda pulled and then later turned mad and then we'll find out what exactly Wanda pulled not the editors Mm -hmm. that's what I said I said Wanda (laughs) (laughs) I'm and I think that's just what it is this isn't a bad story it's just very much more confusing when you don't give any information to the readers as to what exactly is going on and again to bring it back to another uh, to Heroes Reborn Heroes Reborn at least made sense in what the one shots were talking about outside of the main narrative of Heroes Reborn 1 through 7. What they were talking
0: about made sense even if they did.
6: (laughs) In Heroes Reborn all the one shots of the different characters of what was going on in this universe at least make sense you know what you you have an idea even if some of the stories don't fully make sense I am still mad about the X-Men issue that literally just ends on a cliffhanger and then doesn't go anywhere and doesn't come back up in any way Anyway, this story was fun. I liked seeing Amadeus Cho. I liked seeing Nightcrawler in uh, as Captain V. Right? That, that's what he was Citizen called. In v. This? Citizen V. Yeah. Citizen V. I like that it was a hodgepodge costumes of like different Avengers and heroes that he probably had to scrape together to get. I just don't know if this succeeds as a Blade story. Blade is just here and just happens to kick some ass like two or three times. But that's about it. You mean he Loganed? He kind of did Logan. Nah. But he Logan is, he's a still, myth. But Logan at least appears more and has a lot more dialogue in a book that has his own name attached to it. I agree. Well, Blade is definitely treated second class here.
8: And to build on that point, though, I feel the same way about the Tony Stark issue, where it's really more about Pepper than it is about Tony. It's just Pepper is an Iron Man character. So that makes sense. Amadeus Cho, being the character for a Blade issue, is to my knowledge, random as hell. It is.
0: It's random as hell squared plus three.
8: To me, that begs the question of who then is going to be the focus character for Wasp, Black Bolt, or Spider-Man? I am really fascinated by that question.
5: So that's exactly what has me really afraid for the Wasp story, especially because if you look I at the that. Co- if you look at the cover for it, that team that is on that cover is that very, very, very traumatic moment in Jan's life where mm. Hank slaps her, and you know, I'm just very afraid of the story that they are going to tell for Wasp, and I, I, the idea that she might not be the focus character. Character in that story mm. really, really scares me because she already lost her agency in that story. But to have it retold and to have her agency taken even more away is just frightening.
8: And after we saw the way that Pepper was treated in the Iron yep. Man issue, I completely agree. I was already afraid on my own. But then you brought up all your stuff and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. that's all really well, true, too.
0: Guys, okay. what's the worst that someone's going to do to Wasp? Are they going to have Hank Pym come over <laughs> with a glass jar and put her in the glass jar and you spray her in the glass jar and then close the glass jar? Is that what they're going to do to the little waspy woman? Is that what they're going to do?
8: But also she'll have extra skin. <laughs> They're going to have her
5: like fuck Magneto in the middle of this. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. She already did that in real reality.
6: No, she's gonna fuck Magneto and then weirdly fuck the lizard. Yeah.
5: I mean, she's gonna have Magneto's baby, but no,
0: Magneto's no. lizard baby that's
6: actually controlling the world. <laughs> okay. Hey, we don't talk about Polaris like that. <laughs> we all. Oh
0: my god! Sorry,
6: Robbie.
5: With her sunglasses and her jar of lizard, she sunglasses. just
0: takes off her sunglasses and his lizard eyes. <laughs> it's like V. <laughs> yes. Geez, we all just showed some weird shit about ourselves tonight. Um, <laughs> Yay! I-, I genuinely think Darkhold is turning out to be one of the strangest, best recordings we've ever done.
8: Well, so we all read from it, and it made us all insane. Yes, <gasps> exactly. oh my God.
6: Maybe that's maybe the insanity is the friends we made along the way during this podcast and maybe that's what these books are trying to do which is just drive people mad because they don't make the any insanity sense.
8: Insanity is the shame we grew along the way.
0: But guys, can <laughs> we just talk about my f- second favorite part of this issue which is Vampire Fisk looking all sorts of shaved naked mole rat Harvey Oh Einstein in a bathtub? He looks 500
5: like
8: that robot from Futurama. Robot.
5: Like, from Futurama, like, uh... Hedonism bot,
0: bot. Yes,
8: Hedonism Bot. Thank
0: Hidden you. Hedonism Bot is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
6: <laughs>
8: I am the king of New York. <laughs>
6: I'm thinking of a number between one and three that's not one or three. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it turns out we all really like Hedonism Bot.
8: Um, oh, but he also, he looks like that, that that obese vampire from season three of Buffy. Like, literally yes. just like him. Oh. And
7: also like a, a splash of like, and I say this because it's contemporary, Baron Harkonnen from Dune.
8: Oh yeah.
7: And like, like a really,
0: I, I, I I'm trying to, There's something very specifically worm-like about him. Yeah. He is so overstuffed... There's something kind of, you know, Jabba kind of touching Hutt. back. Yeah, kind of touching back into the body horror. He has some very Star Wars y things to him. Jabba of the Hutt has that assistant that has the giant penis wrapped around his neck. Um,
2: <laughs>
8: yeah, and you know,
0: he kind of looks like a really heavy set version of that guy.
8: Well, that's the species, not his name. I forget what his name is. He's a little rat bastard, so I don't care. Little rat bastard, man. He looks like yeah. him. Can and vampires like, get fat like this, though, or is this oh. like a magic thing?
7: <laughs> Like if they you know, can't get tattoos because of a healing factor, I feel like excess yeah, what is body weight doesn't make any sense either.
8: And it just it just feels a little bit like, ah, ha, look, it's a fat vampire cuz Kingpin is fat, so now what? he's even fatter. Hold I'm on. Like, I'm sorry,
5: somebody mentioned Star Wars and all I can think of is uh B Arthur singing in the cantina, so.
0: Yes, I'm with <laughs> uh-huh. you. And also the one that segment that's like, ooh,
8: yes.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, I feel good. Right. Yeah you have to watch
8: that with me this year
0: i do i promised but you know the other thing i think is is maybe possible and i mean this seriously okay is that my my version of fisk would never be this obese i don't i don't accept any version of fisk being this obese my Fisk is like solid muscle under there and would never enjoy inaction, even my second favorite version of Fisk. And just hear me out, guys, before anybody judges, if you haven't read it, it is literally the greatest thing ever. Kingpin of the Sewers is a motherfucker who can take you down, okay? So I I, I feel like while well, I love me a good thick boy, Kingpin is an unfortunate kind of thick that desperately needs to be vampire medicated and I'm worried about him. And I think part of it is perhaps Maybe, and this is just me projecting. I really like this one shot, so I'm projecting a lot into it. But I could see a world where vampires are meant to be these active things, right? Vampires are very we hunt for food, right? And I just I imagine Julie Benz saying it in the little schoolgirl outfit, right? And I You're
8: think not exactly living off quiche. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. All of a sudden Sophie's Almani's I'll remember you was playing and I have a weird scar on my chest. So I feel like perhaps this Kingpin became gluttonous in a way that we do like that vampire in Buffy, you know, who becomes a bathtub demon, basically. Perhaps this is the idea of vampirism deformed to the max. But it leads me to a very specific question and I think it's maybe perhaps the the, the heart of why we have trouble with some of these one shots. I sometimes think that the reason Marvel loves doing these alternate universe events where they cross up their characters or they, they put people in other timelines and blah 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 is because they said to themselves one day, well, we can't sue all the fanfic writers if we're hiring them. And I think they said, <laughs> what if we just take control of the fanfic. Because I gotta be honest, if you said to me, vaguely semi-erotic Blade Amadeus Cho pain sub blood play situation plus inexplicably Kurt as Citizen V hanging with Prowler and Silver Sable like this is 1992 or something? Right? If you had said that to me as a comic I would be like I want all of what you're smoking and I'm gonna ground you up and smoke you too. Right? (laughs) But... I think if you say to me it's a fanfic, I'm like, oh my God, how many chapters is an Omegaverse? That makes so much that. sense. <laughs> right? You know, the
5: only thing this is missing to make it a perfect fanfic is this girlfriend slash sister.
0: Who winds up being really cool with the fact that they're gay together. Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I do really think that it, it is kind of like Marvel said, we're tired of you guys publishing the fanfic. I mean, that's pretty much what DC's whole motto is now, isn't it? It's all fanfic here. That's DC's whole motto. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like um nothing's
8: been canon since the sixties. That's
0: <laughs> Alan Moore said no. We said okay, DC. So the dream. and I feel like maybe that's what this is. Maybe it's all just real fucking wacky fanfic. In which case, good on these guys getting to write good... Because my fanfic wouldn't be much less weird. My fanfic would be a a weird sexual-emotional torture relationship between Matt and Lester, set in the same universe, vaguely, as Electra lives again, while she keeps them both as kept pets in her mansion, which is why Matt has to take it out on Lester. Okay, you need to write that. Right? And so, like, (laughs) I understand that... Like, Marvel, call me. I'm sure that fits into (laughs) whatever... Crossover, you're doing next. I can't imagine a world where you don't just slot that
8: right in. <laughs> I've seen weirder. Yeah, well, Fifty Shades of Gay as it is, I
0: think that my fanfic is weird too, right? And that's kind of the story here. What do you guys think about that possibility that maybe this is just Marvel saying, fuck it, fanfic?
6: I don't think. The, first off, there is no problem with fan fiction in any way, shape, or form. I encourage people to make their own fan fiction, write the stories you want to see. My problem isn't that this reads as fan fiction. I, I you know, I liken this to the start of a YA novel because it kind of is. It's an event happens. You have the one being Blade, who's there to save everybody, and it's two warring sides. I'm a little Romeo and Juliet too. My only problem stems from that there isn't. An explanation for what it is. Is it an alternate universe? Is it Blade being placed in a different uh, dimension? Is this just a vision that Blade saw that's his most horrific thing? I needs some semblance of this is what this is meant to be. I don't care what the actual story is. It can even go fucking weirder and even more fantastical and bizarre and I'll still read it and probably enjoy it, but if you don't tell me what it's meant to be, I feel like and you just you, you can't throw somebody into the ocean and say enjoy swimming and then fuck off. You know, you don't just do that to people. Well, Unless you're Wilson Fisk, you've probably has done that a couple times.
7: Yeah, I feel like I feel like the central problem with Darkhold right now is that we don't really have a good grasp of the why. Like we're getting the what. The what is the story, or these stories, but we're not entirely clear on the why of it all. And thus, like while enjoyable one shots, I don't. Yeah, I just don't know why they're happening and what it does for like the broader story. And it's not clear, like Blade's story does not feel like an absolute nightmare for Blade. Whereas like Tony's does feel nightmarish. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like even kind of the moods are different. Like this felt like a nightmare for like Kurt but, like, I don't think that, like, Blade felt shitty. He was just like, oh, I'm of here, like, slashing them. Cool. But wouldn't that, wouldn't
5: that be his ultimate nightmare to become, to want to become the king of vampires when he's spent his whole life fighting them, right? So, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm guessing, and, like, it just seems like I, I wanna know the why. I really wanna know the why as to what this is all about. And like I said, I'm really afraid to see the Waffle because like it's gonna break my heart in one way or another. But I really just need to know the why and the where to
8: And you know it's 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 a mini series, so you don't really expect answers or at least not most of the answers until the very end. But part of why we are curious about the why is the fact that we don't understand how we should be reacting to this in terms of the long run. Mm -hmm. Why are you introducing these stories? Especially you know, one of the things that stumped us about Blade is that it felt like that was a very well-developed world for only one issue. It felt like something that we wanted to explore more. You brought up, you know, that really fascinating concept for what happened on Krakoa that almost begs for there to be more stories about it. Are we potentially going to see more of that? More one-shots? More you know, little snippets of this alternate universe question mark like what is it so we can know how invested we should be in these stories and these characters or if it's just that's all there's going to be and okay then we don't need to get too attached we don't need to read too much into it and and that's fine but you're making these so detailed and fascinating that it does demand the question of is there going to be more or is there more to it
0: Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. Now this last entry isn't going to be a segment proper, but it's the aforementioned list of Rutland Halloween Parade appearances. Now I would like to point out that this doesn't just feature appearances of the Rutland Parade, but rather some of these will also feature appearances of Tom Fagan or just the town of Rutland, Vermont itself. It all started off with Avengers 1983 by Roy Thomas, John Buscema, and Tom Palmer from Marvel in December of 1970. The concepts would later reappear in Batman 237, Night of the Reaper by Dennis O'Neill, Neil Adams, and Dick Giordano in December of 1971 from DC. Marvel Feature Number 2 from Marvel in 1972 was brought by Roy Thomas, Ross Andrew, and Sal Buscema. Thor 206 Rebirth by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and Vince Coletta was published in December of 1972 by Marvel before DC brought Justice League of America 103 the same month by Len Wein, Dick Dillon, and Dick Giordano. Marvel, in January of 1973, just a month later, would publish Amazing Adventures number 16 by Steve Englehart, Marie Severin, Bob Brown, and Frank McLaughlin. I can't believe that's the first woman creator's name that's come up. That's just kind of crazy. Whew. Thor 207 by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and Vince Coletta from Marvel in January of 1973, before Avengers 119 by Steve Englehart, Bob Brown, and Don Heck from Marvel in January of 1974. The House of Ideas would return to these concepts in Thor 232 by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, Dick Giordano, and Terry Austin, before The Occult Files of Dr. Spectre number 18 by Donald F. Glutt and Jesse Santos would be published by Gold Key Comics in December of 1975 always fun getting to say another company's name for a change Freedom Fighters number 6 by Bob Rosaskis, Ramona Fraden and Bob Smith hey look at that From DC in January and February of 1977, before DC Superstars number 18 by Martin Pasco, Romeo Tangal, and Dick Giordano would come out from DC in January, February of 1978. Ghosts 95 by Paul Kuppenberg, Michael R. Adams, and Tex Blaisdell came out from DC, kicking off the 80s appearances in December of 1980, before Defenders number 100 by J.M. DeMatteis, Don Perlin, and Joe Sinat would come out in October of of 1981 from Marvel. Now Warp Graphics in February of 1986 gave us Thunder Bunny number five by Martin Grime and Brian Buniac, before Animal Man number fifty by Tom Vitek and Steve Dillon came out in August of nineteen ninety two from DC. Now the last two appearances would come in nineteen ninety six and nineteen ninety seven, both published in December of their respective years. Generation X number twenty two by Scott Lobdell, Chris baccalo Alvey, and Scott Hanna. Superboy and the Ravers number sixteen by Steve Matson, Carl kiesel Josh Hood and Dan Davis represent the final appearances of this awesome town in comics. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for kind of a special Halloween little episode and thanks for indulging me, those of you who are still listening we appreciate it we think you guys are the best fans we love making this show for you twice a week every week and we can't wait to do it again next time so guys until then keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open and we'll see ya